Can you believe how quickly this year has flown by? Like literally in two blinks and a sneeze, it's going to be 2023. And I'm just kind of looking over my shoulder saying, what in the world happened to 2022? I mean, what? If I feel like um, I woke up like on January 1 and then, you know, five minutes later, here we are at the back half of the year. And it's just been a, um, a really fast-paced, energized Tons of stuff happening uh, in in the year 2022, and it's almost over. Um, it's been a big pivot year for my family. I think Amy and I will look back in a few years and and recognize that 2022 was the year that our kids became free uh, in the sense of entering fully into adulthood. Even though Landon is legally a minor, but the way th- the Lord has just orchestrated some things um, with him finishing his last year of high school via homeschooling while working for my brother-in-law and learning the roofing business and (laughs) quite frankly landing doing pretty good I wasn't making that much money until I was about (laughs) 35 years old but um and him learning how to you know live between Dawsonville where uh, the company is and live with us in Gainesville uh, when he's not working and it's just wild it's just extremely wild and uh I'm just so grateful to God for his grace, man. He knows what he's doing in your life. He knows what he's doing in my life. I don't always know what the Lord's doing. I mean, if I'm going to be honest with you, I rarely know the details of what the Lord is doing in my life. He doesn't come to me like daily and say, okay, Jeff, here's what we're going to do today. Let me give you from this hour to this hour. This is what's going to happen. I just don't, I don't get that. Maybe some of you guys do. I just kind of wake up and say, Father, what are you doing today and what would you like me to do? And of course, you know, there's bigger blueprints, generally speaking, about what God's doing in a in a believer's life. But I do, I, I just believe this. I believe the life of faith is, um, you know, you're, you're just spending the day with God as you seek his face and you wait on his hand and you listen for his voice. Now, that may bum you out because, you know, you tuned into a podcast hoping to maybe hear some... <laughs> some counsel from some Christian expert. You get stuck with me because I'm not an expert on anything. I love Jesus. Amen. I love him. He loves me. Um, I think he likes me. (laughs) You know, everybody knows theologically that God loves everybody, but a lot of people struggle with whether or not God likes him. I think God likes me, not because I'm awesome, but just because he's awesome. And, you know, he doesn't judge us and value us by the thing that is primarily lacking in us. Now, God's not worried about the outcome. He 100% knows what you're going to be in the end. And so he doesn't view you through the lens of your um, most perpetual struggle, your greatest implosion, or your deepest regret. He looks at you and he says, that's my girl. That's my daughter right there. I love her. I'm proud of her. She's not perfect, but she's going to be. Can you receive that, ladies? You're going to be perfect. That's right. The end of the story is you are in glory. Ooh, that rhymed. The end of the story is that you will be glorified. You will be perfect. But until that moment occurs, you're going to be in process. And the God who enters into the process with you, my sister, does not nag you, does not complain, does not criticize. He's not throwing his hands up in the air, exasperated because you can't get your stuff together. And brothers, let me just say the same thing over you. The Lord's not trying to, you know, get you to a place where he can finally be satisfied with you. Um, his satisfaction in you is the fact that you bowed to his son, Jesus Christ, and you declared his only begotten son as the Lord of your life. And he says, I love that. That's what I've been waiting for. That's what I've been looking for. 
And so everything else is process. Everything else is grace and sanctification and, you know, repentance and, you know, seeking the face of God and just dying to self, dying to the world, dying to the flesh and dying to the tactics of the enemy. And so in that aspect, yep, it's war. There's war. Um, I, I don't know that I've ever heard more than I have this year people telling me to back off the, the kind of war motif. I don't know why people are struggle with that. I'm like, what, what do you think the Christian life is? I mean, I literally ask people that. I'm like, if you are tired of me talking about the Christian life being a war, then you tell me what you think it is. Now, I know what the end of it is. The end of it is not war. The end of it is a peace that passes all understanding. And we can have that right now. But the reason why we need that peace is because we're living in the reality of war. Like the promises of God are overcoming promises. And by definition, if they are overcoming promises, there is something to overcome. There is opposition. There is resistance. There is attack. There is a foe. There is an enemy. And people just don't like that, man. They're like, hey, man, Jeff, can you tone it down a little bit? Because it's all about love. Well, that is such an overgeneralization. Like, plow down and think about what you're saying when you say it's all about love. It's not all about love. It may ultimately be about love. But it's not all about love. Otherwise, rip out every single chapter in your Bible that actually talks about warfare, that actually talks about the conflict between evil and good, the domain of darkness versus the dominion of light, sin versus redemption. Like, rip it all out. Rip out every statement of conflict when, when Jesus is battling demons or the apostles are battling demons or Job is being harassed by Satan or an evil spirit is attacking King Saul. I mean, just rip it all out because it's all about love. And so it's a disingenuous thing for us to just get myopic and say, oh, no, we just see one thing. We see love. Well, ultimately, it is about love. It's about the love of God and the love of God through us. And listen, people are going to know that we are Jesus's disciples by how we love one another. I get that. Ultimately, it is about love, but it's not comprehensively about love. It's not all about love in the sense of it being only about love. So you just go on and do what you got to do, my friend. But I'm going to talk about war because I care about where the people are living. And the people I know, they're living in war. Like folks going, their marriages splitting up. People struggling with their identity and sexuality, Uh, people addicted to drugs, people bitter in their spirit, people demonized, losing their minds. Like I just see this regularly when we've got chaos in the culture. We've got chaos globally. We've got corruption in every aspect of government. We've got churches that don't know what the gospel is anymore. And we've got the fact of physical sickness and affliction, mental illness, emotional damage. We've got trafficking and pedophilia. We, we've got abuse of every sort. And people want to look us in the eye and say, can we talk about love? Yeah, we can talk about love, but we can't only talk about love. Why? Because there's a war going on and we actually have to fight for the glory of Jesus and the good of those that he came to save. And the devil's not going to show up and have a negotiation with you over a cup of tea and a robust conversation about love. So I'm glad I got that off my chest. That's just a, um, 
you know, a, a checkup from the neck up there. It's, it's just saying to you, watch what comes out of your mouth. Cause it's not all about war either, but it's definitely not all about love. And so that, and, and if people under, I thought I was done with this, but I'm not done. Uh, if people would understand what agape actually is the love of God, the highest form of love, it's not everything's nice. Everything's calm. Everything's peaceful. There's no struggle. There's no friction. There's no conflict. It's just all love. That is unscriptural. It's just not based in biblical reality. And yet people hijack that phrase and turn it into the, like the mantra. And therefore anything that has to deal with conflict or warfare or struggle or confrontation becomes unloving. Because after all, if there's conflict and confrontation, you're not making me feel awesome about me. Therefore, it can't be love. Well, the agape, the agape love of God is always the type of love that seeks the highest good of its object. Let me redefine that for you. Love, according to scripture, is the seeking of the highest good of the other person. And sometimes if you're seeking the highest good of a person, therefore you're loving them as God loves, you're going to confront them. You're, you'll actually facilitate conflict. You're, you're not going to able to be mild and, and outwardly peaceful and sweet and, you know, rounded edges all the time. Jesus wasn't. The apostles weren't. The prophets weren't. God the Father wasn't. And so when, when you read in the Bible, the idea of the American view of love is just not there. And sadly, the church has adopted it to where we've lost our spines. That has nothing to do really with what I want to talk to you about today, but I do think it was worthy of about 10 minutes of me just challenging us to think biblically about what it's all about and to really check yourself when you give that mindless statement that is usually void of thought when you say it's all about love. Just ask yourself, is that biblically true? Is it biblically true? Now, I said that's not what I want to talk to you about today, and it isn't. I'm going to spend the rest of my time today on, on a very particular subject. And um, for those of you that are listening that may be from a non-charismatic um, slice of the, of the kingdom, um, maybe you're Baptist or Presbyterian, um, or maybe you're, you're non-denominational, but you know the supernatural Holy Spirit stuff is just not really where you flow. That's not your jam. That's fine. That's, you know, that's an entirely different topic, but in just for context, so you'll understand it, I'm, I'm a charismatic Christian. So I'm a word and spirit Christian. That means I believe in the gifts of the Holy spirit. I believe in the supernatural works of God that are present in this very day. Nothing's changed since the book of acts. And so those are a normative part of how I uh, f flow and live and experience the kingdom. And I believe that should be, quite frankly, the experience of all believers, because I don't think anything has changed since the times of the New Testament. And if nothing has changed since the time of the New Testament, our Christianity should look similar to theirs. And so the gifts of the Spirit and the flow of the Spirit are important. But there's this thing in, in charismatic Christianity that I've been a little grieved over. And it's this idea... And it happens a lot in church services. And I'm listen, I'm not saying it's all illegitimate. 
let me preface everything I'm about to say. I'm not saying that what I'm about to describe is always illegitimate because it's not. But there is some presumption in certain people that what I'm about to describe is um, always valid. What am I talking about? So we have these things called ministry time or encounter. Um, they're often called altar calls. When I was in the Baptist church, we just called it invitation. And it's when people would come forward as they've heard a message and whoever is bringing that message will call people forward to respond to what they've heard. And in the Baptist days, it was basically come get saved, come rededicate, come to be baptized or come join the church. And all that stuff's valid. They're, that's great. Um, when, when I started getting more exposed to charismatic Christianity, the altar calls or the ministry time or the <laughs> whatever you want to call it, people would come forward and it's all of the things I just mentioned. Hey, do you want to be water baptized? Do you want to get saved? Do you want to rededicate? Would you like to join and unite with this fellowship? That's still kind of in there. But it was also, hey, come and receive. Uh, let's lay hands on you if you're sick. Let's lay hands on you if you are... Um, if you're struggling, if you're oppressed, if you're in bondage, come and experience deliverance. Um, if you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, if you need a baptism of Holy Ghost and fire, as John the Baptist promised that Jesus would do, that Jesus would baptize people with Holy Ghost and fire. By the way, if you don't know what that means, you should study that out because that's in the Bible. Like That's what John the Baptist said that Jesus would do. And it's more than just being saved. Baptized with the Holy Ghost, salvation, fire. Hmm. What does that mean? So people come forward and they want to experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit or they want to get delivered or they want an impartation. They want somebody to lay their mantle on them. That's I'm getting to where I'm going now. And so a lot of times when people came forward or come forward, they're like they want the the man or the woman of God to lay hands on them and impart to them what that man or woman of God has themselves. So let me just give you a scenario. Let's just say a very powerful prophet or evangelist that has prophetic gifting, maybe the ability to heal or to deliver people or the ability to read straight into what's going on in their heart, mind, and soul and prophetically call out what needs to be called out, whether calling out something that doesn't belong or calling out something good that has been dormant in a person, prophetic people can see that God reveals that to them and they speak with authority and people literally get delivered. People get healed physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Um, there has been, I've seen people impart like the power of restoration on those that are broken and maybe their marriage is suffering and a husband and wife come forward desperate and somebody lays hands on them and God does something in them. All of that stuff can be legitimate. I believe it often is. But there is this one little area I want to deal with today. And um, it happens regularly. People see what they see in a man or a woman of God. I'm just talking about a minister. Um, they see that power. Or they watch that person over months or years and they see what that person carries. That's a common phrase. So-and-so carries this gift or carries this ability or wears this mantle. And what they see in this man or woman of God, they value. 
Nothing wrong with that at all. We should value and honor those that minister to us and that God has raised up and gifted and equipped. It's not man worship. We don't worship any servant of the Lord, but we should honor and value them. So sometimes they see what this person carries, and this is where I'm getting to. It's taken me a long meandering road, but here we are. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. People will walk up to a man or a woman of God and say, I want what you have. Lay your hands on me. I'd like to have a double portion of what you carry, or I'd like to carry what you carry. You have something I don't have. It's valuable. I see the good in it. I believe that if I had that, I could also do good with it for the glory of God. So I'm not, I'm not undermining anybody's motivation. Like I think most of the time when this happens, people say that's a good gift of God on that person. I, I could use that too. I want that so I can help people and glorify God. So I'm not questioning motive, but what I am questioning is the wisdom because most of the men and the women of God that we see that carry that walk in, if you want to call it a heavy anointing or a heavy mantle. And what that describes is something that is clear that is on their life that is a gift or an anointing or an endowment from God, when we see that, let me tell you how more than likely they got it. Through pain. Through trial. Through brokenness. Through loss. Through deep seasons of waiting on God. Through crucifying the flesh through fasting, through praying, more than likely accompanied by rejection, isolation, and abject brokenness and poverty of spirit before the Lord. And when they go through seasons like that and they honor the Lord and they trust the Lord, And they remain humble before the Lord and they endure and press on for the Lord and they seek the Lord. That is where it's in that process that whatever it is that they carry that we see and we value and we admire, they got it in the crucible. They got it in the valley. They got it in the fire. They got it in the pit. They didn't get it by simply asking for it. Oh, they asked for what God wanted to give them, but the process that God entrusted it to them broke them. And so now we flash forward to that person who sees the result on the man or the woman of God, and they say, I want that. And so they naively come up to the man or the woman of God and say, I want what you carry. Will you pray for me? Will you lay your hands on me? Will you impart that to me? And oftentimes, the man or the woman of God would say, at least inwardly, they have no idea what they're asking for. Um, My wife gets this from time to time because Amy doesn't like, (laughs) people don't understand that Amy walks in a level of, of power that is fierce because she's quiet. She doesn't say much. She would much rather pray for three hours in her glider, in our den, in her rocking chair, three hours with nobody in the house. She'd, she would 
a thousand times more rather do that than stand up on a platform and ever be in the spotlight. But because of her depth of time with the Lord and because of the vast amount of suffering that Amy has gone through, she carries something very potent and very appealing and very valuable. But the people, it's usually women, sometimes it's dudes too, but they see something on her because she moves in gentleness, she moves in quietness, she moves with a very feminine strength, and she's strong, but she's not hard. And so a lot of women that value strength, they have had to become hard to feel strong or to appear strong. They've actually had to become masculine in a lot of ways. And so when they see Amy, they're like, here's a woman that is, she doesn't care what people think. She doesn't care what people say. She doesn't care what people demand of her that's not in line with what God demands of her. She doesn't bow to pressure. I I want what she's got. And do you know what my wife has told many? She says, hey, you you want me to lay hands on you. You want me to give this to you, but it's a package deal. So do you want to suffer? Do you want to lose? Do you want to feel powerless at times? Do you want to struggle? Do you want to embrace the life of hiddenness? Do you want to be overlooked and sometimes shoved aside. Amy will ask sometimes women if, if this is what they want and none of them do. I don't know. And I I could be wrong. I don't want to speak entirely for my wife. I need to get her on this podcast, by the way. Um, but I don't know of anybody that's ever looked Amy in the eye and said, yeah, I'm willing to go through all of that. If it would, if it results in what you carry. And here's the thing I want you to know. My wife didn't sign up for all of that. Like she didn't go to God and say, God, I really want an anointing. I really want prophetic insight. I really want dreams. I want to be a seer. I want tongues. I want all of this stuff. So please put me in the crucible and make it hurt. Help me to die to myself. I I really want that. No reasonable Christian signs up for that. But here's the thing. No anointed Christian gets to be exempt from that. So when you're, when you're, you're and I, when, when we're looking at somebody walking in a high level of authority, a high level of power, a high level of wisdom, a high level of supernatural flow, a high, na- a high level of fruitfulness. You can want the result, but you need to know that it comes attached to a cost. And Jesus himself taught this. He said, if you are not willing to count the cost ahead of time, then don't sign up. He taught parables on that. The man that goes out to war needs to know how much collateral damage he's willing to take. The man that wants to build a tower needs to know how much it's going to cost him and how long it's going to take. And so the <clears throat> the application is you, you've got to anticipate the cost. You can't just run straight to the results. There's a cost. Anointing is not cheap. Wisdom is not common. Power is not casual. And effectiveness and fruitfulness comes through plowing, planting, and then tending to what has been plowed and planted. And it takes a lot of time. 
So I want you to think about that when you go forward in one of our oftentimes, you know, we just don't think through it. I don't want to be critical, but I do want to call us to a higher level, higher level of of awareness when we're going up at the end of the service and we're just kind of casually saying to evangelist so-and-so or prophet so-and-so or apostle so-and-so, hey, give me what you've got. Then it's a package deal. They didn't get what they got except for by going through what they went through. And you can't draft behind them. You you can't get what they got without paying the price that they paid. And that's why I, I get concerned because a lot of people just settle for a holy zap. They want to come forward and get a zap from the prophet or the apostle or the evangelist. And they just like in that moment, I'm going to get that zap. I'm going to get that supernatural zap of the Holy Spirit because they're going to lay hands on me and I'm going to get that zap and I'm going to walk away carrying what that lady carries or what this guy carries. No, you're not. You're not. Those moments, encounter is good. Listen, I love supernatural encounter. I've had some encounters with God that if I, if I detailed them in this podcast, y'all all think I'm crazy. I love encounter with God. But when we're talking about ministry anointing and we're talking about who we are going to represent at what level in the kingdom, we're talking about being ambassadors for Jesus Christ in the kingdom. That doesn't come through a holy zap. You don't get mature by having a great man or woman of God lay their hands on you. Maturity is not imparted by humans. Maturity and depth is imparted by experience with God over time. And usually, don't want to rain on your parade, but listen, this is what you signed up for. You tuned in. Usually the experiences have to include pain. It's a very unpopular thought among Christians because we think because Jesus took the stripes and bore the wounds and died on the cross that we are immune from suffering. Except the Bible doesn't teach that. That's just a man's teaching. As a matter of fact, every single person we admire in the scripture suffered. Every one of them. And so what we want is we want this, we want this inheritance. We want, give me what's coming to me and don't make me wait and don't make me go through anything. I just want, and listen, I'm not attributing motive. I'm not saying people consciously do this. They ignorantly do it, but it's ignorance and ignorance has to be refuted and confronted. And so you've got to think about Proverbs 13, 11. This proverb comes to mind. Proverbs 13, 11 says wealth gained in haste will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase wealth gained by haste will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase. That's, that's good teaching for this moment. So if wealth represents whatever that man or that woman of God carries that we want, then the teaching of Proverbs 13, 11 is if you got that hastily, it would dwindle because you don't have the, you don't have the, the awareness of the value of it because you didn't pay anything for it. There was no cost associated with it. If, if you got it because the man or the woman of God laid hands on you and boom, the zap came and you, you, you now have what they have, you wouldn't value it because you didn't have to go through anything to get it. You just walked up to the front of the service. Somebody laid hands on you and all of a sudden you're, you know, super anointed and you will, you will waste that anointing. You won't cherish it. There was no communion established between you and God and getting it. It was just a microwave moment at an altar. But when you go through the crucible, you're getting it little by little. And what you get in the crucible, you don't lose. 
What you get at the altar call, if there's no consecration and no depth in a person, what you get at the altar call, you'll lose it because it'll only be good for that moment. You'll talk about it the next day. You'll treat it like we used to treat it on. We used to wake up on Saturday morning when I was a drunk and we'd all talk about what we did the night before and how high we were and how drunk we were and what the crazy outlandish things we said or we did. And we'd laugh and we'd brag about it because it was just this moment, this like, wow, what a night. And the next day it's gone. So guess what you got to do? You got to have another night. And then the next day it's gone. And then the next day it's gone. And this cycle is there's no fullness to it. And a lot of people treat spiritual supernatural experiences that way. Well, man, I fell out in the spirit. Wow, man, I felt tingles all up and down my spine. Wow, I spoke in tongues for 25 minutes. Wow, man, I'm telling you, I saw a vision. I had an open vision. And, And listen, All of those things are valid, but when we treat those pearls like swine and we trample them underfoot because it didn't cost us anything, then we are, I think we're merchandising the works of the Holy Spirit and that's, that's not good. But if you get it little by little, the wealth, the spiritual wealth via experience, you get it little by little and it enriches you and it stays with you. So let me close out and just ask you a couple of questions because most of you that listen to Mavericks and Misfits, you're hungry on some level. You want more of God. Don't stop wanting more of God. I'm not even telling you to stop coming forward during altar calls because great moments happen in altar calls. But what I'm saying is treat this like holy ground from now on. Like don't just go up there to be a consumer to get something for the moment that makes you feel better. Like if you want what that man or that woman of God carries, then approach it with a little fear and trembling and recognize they didn't get it on the hill. They got it in the valley or the pit. That's what enabled them and empowered them to get up on the hill. You see, we are just enamored with what we see on a platform under a stage light or in front of a camera with all of the stuff. And a lot of, look, I'm on a stage, I'm on a platform, I'm in front of a camera, we do TV, we do media, I'm not hating. But what I'm saying is that is the effect of everything else that entails the cost. The cause is brokenness, humility, waiting, self-denial, persecution, misrepresentation, misunderstanding, slander, read 2 Corinthians five times in the next month and look at what Paul had to go through. And anybody that is going to be mightily used of God, you better be prepared to die. Like not necessarily physically, maybe, but you got to prepare, be prepared to die to your image, to your ease, to your comfort, to your rights, to your potential to feel entitled. Die, die, die. Crawl up on the altar and be that living sacrifice. Get on the cross that you're told to carry and say, Jesus, keep me crucified to myself. That's way more important than going forward and getting somebody to lay hands on you. And so I think what we've got is we've got this epidemic of a lot of people who are either ignorant of the cost or unwilling to pay the cost that presume to get the effect. I don't think God's going to do that. Matter of fact, I know he's not. 
So keep pressing in, keep seeking, keep hungering, keep thirsting. Go ahead and benefit from a man or a woman of God. Listen, there's nothing wrong with valuing what they carry, but don't be ignorant anymore and think that it came to them easily. Because if you think it came to them easily, you'll presume that it'll come to you easily and you'll be in for a rude awakening. So we're going to press into this thing together because it's still worth it. The crucible, oh man, the crucible and the cross are the only pathways to the crown. And listen, I want a crown. I want bunches of them because those crowns will be given by the Holy Son of God and he can't make a mistake. And so if he gives a crown at the end, it means my life counted. So I want the crown, not so I can strut, but I want the crown because it will be the eternal indicator that I lived my life in a way that pleased Jesus. And there's no way to do that with, while you're avoiding the cross and the crucible. So do you really want it? I'm asking you, do you really want what those great men and women of God have carried and do carry? Then you better get serious about the cost. Time's up. We'll talk to you next time on Mavericks and Misfits. Have you picked up a copy of Jeff's book, Figuring It Out As I Go? His life story of abandonment as a child, an embrace of the occult and addiction as a teenager, and a nearly deadly battle with depression and rage as a young adult serves as an intense backdrop to Jeff's supernatural conversion at the age of 24. From there, Jeff writes of powerful seasons of deliverance, healing, and breakthrough, which were followed by tragedy, betrayal, and deep challenges which only God could turn around. If you want to hear a powerful account of the triumph of God's grace, and Jeff's surprising journey into the mysteries of the Holy Spirit, pick up a copy of Figuring It Out As I Go at jefflyle.com or wherever else you buy books. You can also download a copy of Jeff narrating Figuring Out As I Go on audible.com.